0: James chapter 2, and here in this um, chapter, James is talking about partiality, the sin of partiality, or showing favoritism. We've been looking at these verses, <clears throat> and there James gives the illustration of you know, someone, come, someone coming into the assembly, and you, two people coming to the assembly, and you're looking at one and looking at the other, making a judgment based on their appearance. Um, one being a wealthy person, one obviously being one who <clears throat> does not have much in the way of earthly goods, and having respect to the one and despising the other. Of course, that is sinful. And when we when we examined this and we talked about it, what is really the underlying what's the underlying cause for treating people differently? What is it? Selfishness. Selfishness. And why, is it, why do we see it as selfishness? What is human nature doing there? Okay. What can that person do for me? Oh, here's a wealthy person. I'll treat him differently because there may be something in it for me. I may be able to gain something. On the other hand, here is another person who is destitute or has nothing, and obviously they can't give me anything, or I can't, you know, how will I profit from them, so therefore I'll give the attention to the one as opposed to the other. It really stems from selfishness, a self-centered attitude rather than a love for others. And so, <clears throat> James is dealing with this. He comes down to verse 8. He's talked about the, the rich and the poor. He talks about how the poor, um, the poor in the body, God has chosen to be rich in faith. He says, you know, you you are trying to suck up to the rich or trying to show favoritism to the rich, but uh, aren't the rich the ones who are bringing you into lawsuits, uh, the ones who oppress you, drawing you before judgment seats? He goes, why would you do that? I mean, just, he says, in general, look at your perspective here. But he comes down to verse 8, and this is where we're picking up today. And I'm going to read from verse 8 down through verse 13. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law, or convicted of the law, as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So here we are, coming to the end of this Kind of section in this chapter dealing with the sin of partiality. <clears throat> now, when James is speaking about the rich, you know, he may have been referring to the Sadducees. I don't know necessarily. Those were the ones who definitely were, um, who played favorites with Rome as far as the leadership of the Jews. But he comes and he says here, if Ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you do well. What is that royal law? What do we call it? It's called the golden rule. You should love your neighbor as yourself, or do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus took the law and boiled it down into two main categories, the first was man's relationship to God and the second was man's relationship to man. Man's relationship to God, he says, you'd love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he said the second was like to the verse, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? I hope what I'm smelling is not rubber burning so (sighs) loving your neighbor as yourself why is that command given to love your neighbor as yourself we're selfish do we love ourselves what about that person that has a a low self-esteem or a bad self-image is there such a thing no, there's not. Now psychologists will tell you otherwise. Oh, he just has a low self-esteem. That's why he did X, Y, or Z. And I say, absolutely not. Yeah, we're supposed to esteem others better than ourselves. <laughs> what he's doing is esteeming himself better than others. Okay, by the way, it leads to that kind of mentality of esteeming self, leads to all kinds of really mental issues, depression. Okay. The best way to fight depression is to take your eyes off yourself. You'll find that depressed people are self-centered people. I have never met a depressed person that was not self-centered. I have also never met a person who put others first who was depressed. They're mutually exclusive. They don't go together. You can't have one and the other at the same time. You cannot love self and love others. Uh, at the same time, you're going to have to either, you know, love others or you're going to love yourself. But if you will put others first, listen, it's a recipe to cure depression. But here, the requirement of the law, the requirement of love others, love your neighbor as yourself. No man, the Bible says no man ever yet hated himself, but he nourishes himself. Okay. He takes care of himself. Um, When we're hungry, what do we do? We punish ourselves and say, Oh, you're such a rotten person. I'm going to starve you. You're not going to eat for three days as punishment. Uh, you know, I, that's not the way it works. Now, you may go on a diet, or for medical reasons, you may not be able to eat or something, but that's definitely not what we prefer. What do we do? We feed ourselves, we take care of ourselves. So we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. <clears throat> but he says in verse 9 if we have respect to persons, You commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. Remember, the person who is partial in themselves or partial in their judgment, showing prejudice and preference to certain people as opposed to others, in verse 4, he says, If you do that, you have become judges of evil thoughts. Judges of evil thoughts. What I find interesting about that is he didn't say become judges of evil actions. He's not talking about their actions, is he? He is talking about the way that we think. Remember when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount? What was the point of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said over and over throughout the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it hath been said by them of old times, and he would give the law. Thou shalt not kill. And then what did Jesus say? But I say unto you, if you hate your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. He says, you've heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, who sees that? No man can see that. Okay, but God sees that. And what are those? Those are evil thoughts. They're evil thoughts. If we are partial, what are we guilty of? Evil thoughts. And so what he says down here, if you have respect to persons, you are committing sin. How are you committing sin? In your thoughts. Your judgments are perverted. They're wrong. And they're against God's law, which goes to the point that God's law has always been what? Not just external, but concerned with what? The internal, the matters of the heart. The Pharisees didn't get that. Why were they condemned? Jesus said, because you are hypocrites. He goes, you clean the outside of the platter or the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. You are like whited sepulchers, filled with what? Dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but inwardly you are evil. Now, if we have respect of persons, we commit sin and we are convicted of the law as transgressors. And he goes on to explain this very clearly. Look what he says. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Guilty of all? Well, I've never murdered anybody. you can just see people thinking here about, well, what James just said. Well, I've only, you know, okay, well, maybe I told a little white lie, which is still a lie, but anyway, maybe they're trying to excuse their sin, but what is he saying? Hey, if you've offended in one point, you're guilty of all because... He who said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, said, Do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, but if you kill, what are you? You're a transgressor of the law. If you are partial in your thoughts, you are just as guilty of breaking the law, of breaking God's law, as the man who kills someone. You say, Well, wait just a second here. You know, making an improper judgment about someone or having a prejudice, um, that's way different than killing someone. Well, yeah, it's different than killing someone, but it's still what? It's still breaking the law. I used to teach the high schoolers, when I was working with junior high and high schoolers, I said, you know, imagine the law as a 10 link chain. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> And you're hanging over a pit. How many links do you need to break to perish? So the <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't say how quickly you'd perish, but, but how many links do you need to, to break to be a breaker of the law? You say, I didn't break that link. That's do not kill. I, I've not committed adultery. Uh, you didn't love your neighbor as yourself. You've had evil thoughts. Up. Oh. You're sunk. Okay? And so what does he ta- He's saying here, don't justify yourselves because, well, I haven't done this or I haven't done that. But what has the Scripture commanded you to do? And if you fail even in one point, what are you? You're guilty of breaking the law. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. He's guilty of all. In other words, he is just as guilty as anyone who has broken the law because the law has been broken. Now, I think that's easy enough to understand. But I want us to go on now. Verses 12 and 13 bring up some very deep thoughts. Some very interesting principles. I wonder if you've noticed them before. I'm sure you've read this many times, but in verses 12 and 13, he gives this application. He says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now, let me ask you this. Verses 10 and, well, 9, 10, and 11. All three of those verses mention the law. Look back at verse 9. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin, are convinced of the law as transgressors. Verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 11. He that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, but if thou kill, thou art becoming a transgressor of the law. And then in verse 12, he says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Is he talking about the same law? Is the law of liberty something different than the law mentioned in verses 9 through 11? The law of liberty. Hmm, That's an interesting law. What is the law of liberty? <clears throat> you ever heard of the law of liberty before? Have you ever read of it in the scripture? Mm-hmm. The law of liberty. What's that? Okay. It talks about that at the end of chapter one. Look over there at verse 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. What is the law of liberty? Well, let's think about it for a minute. Okay? This is good. I hope that the wheels of your brain are starting to turn. You're gonna get increased up and moving. Here we go. Who is James writing to? He's writing to Jews. What are Jews concerned about primarily in general? But they're concerned about the law. Where, what, what is he hitting here? The law, the law, the law. And what's the big deal about the Jews? What's the law that they revere? What's the law that they strive to keep? What's the law that they're so concerned about? Law of Moses. Is the law of liberty the law of Moses? No, it's not. In fact, it's a different law. Well, where where do you find the law of liberty? What are the requirements of the law of liberty? What is the difference between the law of liberty and the law of Moses? And how does one come to be judged by the law of liberty and not the law of Moses? Um, He says, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Well, which is more demanding The law of Moses or the law of liberty? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Well, let's talk about this. Which is more demanding, the law of Moses or the law of liberty? What is the law of liberty? How does it compare to the law of Moses? The law of liberty. Liberty, what is liberty? Wasn't it? Was it Patrick Henry that wanted liberty or death, one or the other? Is that what we're talking about here? Give me liberty or give me death? <clears throat> what is liberty? We think of liberty as freedom, don't we? I mean, we have a statue of liberty here. We sing about liberty in this country. We're, we're free, right? Um, liberty. Well, I want us to go and to look at Romans chapter 8, and verse 2. Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. You see, this is where this is coming to at the end of this section in James, and I think it's very important that we make this connection. Romans 8 verse 1 is a continuation of chapter 7. He's just continuing on in his um, argument here, talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the law of the flesh, the law of the mind. In chapter 7, when you study Romans chapter 7, if you don't first determine what law he's talking about, you're not going to understand chapter 7 because there's the law of this, the law of that, and the law of something else. There's so many different laws mentioned here, and yet determine what's he talking about. But we move on to chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Note verse 2. For the law... Of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death there are two laws mentioned in that verse the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and there's the law of sin and death over here in James chapter 3 there's the law of Moses there's also the law of liberty, the law of liberty. Let's talk about the law of Moses. The law of Moses. It's given in the Old Testament. It's given to the Jews. God's requirements. Why was it given? Well, there are various reasons why. There's more than just one reason why it was given. But one of the essential reasons that Paul points out in Romans chapter 5 is that the law was given so that man would see himself as a what? As a sinner. Did God give the law as a code to live by? To be righteous? In a way, yes. However, man cannot keep the law man cannot keep the law and god did and that did not surprise god okay the law entered that the offense might abound as paul says there at the end of romans chapter 5 by the law is the knowledge of sin the law defines sin and the law renders every one of us lawbreakers because it is a law that cannot be kept by sinners Because, what? The carnal mind is the enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's the law of Moses. In Romans 8, 2, that is the law of sin and death. Well, that sounds like a horrible thing, doesn't it? Well, is there anything wrong with the law? No. No. There's nothing wrong with the law. Paul says that in Romans chapter 7. God gave the law. It was just, holy, and good. It was righteous. No problem with the law. The problem was the people that were under the law. They could not be subject to the law because they were rebels. And that's every one of us. Because of that sin nature which we inherited from Adam, we are sinners by birth. We are sinners by choice. And when God's law says it's white, what do we say? No, it's, and we don't necessarily, it's black. We just say it's anything but white. When God says it's black, what do we say? No, it's white or it's anything else, but it's not black. Yeah, there's the gray area. Okay. Um, (laughs) Look look, look at humanity. Where did evolution come from? I'll tell you where evolution came from. God said, I created the world. You know, man says, you know, we got to find out how this world came to be. <laughs> and, 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 and we're not sure. And so we got to research this and really look it up because it, it could be anything. But we know one thing it can't be. It cannot be that God created the world. <laughs> so let's look everywhere else. Why does man do that? Okay. Because man is a sinner. He's at enmity with his creator. The law, uh, is called the law of sin and death because it reveals sin, and it ultimately ends in what? Death. Because what does the Bible say? If you break the law, you what? You die. The wages of sin is what? Death. Always has been, always will be. Garden of Eden, what did God tell Adam and Eve? The day you eat thereof of that tree, you will surely what? Die. So it is called the law of sin and death. And that, listen, It is meant to sound ominous. Yes, it does sound ominous. It's not evil, but it sounds threatening. Well, it's always threatening to sinners because it does not give good news to sinners, but that's all it can do. It can only call us guilty. The law renders man guilty. So there's a different law. There's the law of the spirit of life. There's a law that gives life in Christ Jesus. In James 2, Chapter 2 and verse 12. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Ah, so there's the law of liberty. It's not the law of Moses, it's a different law. It's the law of life in Christ Jesus. The law of liberty only applies to those who are in Christ. And this is why James says, you live in such a way, you speak and you do, you carry out your life and your behavior, your comportment in such a way as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. As believers, you live like a child of God because you are going to stand before Him someday and you will be judged, not by Moses' law, but you're going to be judged by the law of liberty. Well, that still leaves us, well, what is the law of liberty? It's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're freed from the law of sin and death, but what are the requirements of the law of liberty? And how do I meet those requirements? That is an excellent question. And don't leave today without the answer. What is the law of liberty? Liberty sounds like freedom from something, doesn't it, to you? Sounds like freedom from something to me. And so there is a liberty. There is a law of liberty. Who has been liberated? What is this liberty? I'm glad you asked. (coughs) Let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Remember what he said? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? Well, Romans chapter 6 happens to tell us what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, That the body of sin, or the flesh, might be destroyed. That word means rendered inoperative. That henceforth we should, what? Not Not serve. serve sin. Or no longer be the slaves of sin. Folks, that's liberty. This is true liberty. Let's go on. For he that is dead is... What's the next word? Freed. Liberated. Freed. From what? Freed from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. Remember this law of sin and death? Christ has defeated or has overcome the law of sin and death. He was sinless, and He rose from the dead. He was righteous, and He is resurrected. For in that He died, He died unto sin once for all. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Note verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive, responsive to, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, those who have overcome and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Aha, now we're finding out what it means to be under the law of liberty. What are we freed from? Okay, we are freed from the power of sin. We are freed from the power of sin. We are also freed from the guilt of sin. Now, that doesn't mean when you sin, you're not going to feel guilty. (laughs) But the legal guilt of sin was placed on Christ. We're freed from the power of sin. We will eventually be freed from the what? Presence of sin. This is the law of liberty. And it says, "...so speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty." we're going to be judged by the law of liberty. If you're a believer in Christ, then you have been made free from the law of sin and death. You're free from condemnation, the condemnation of that Mosaic law. You're freed from that. But to be freed from something does not mean that we have what's called license. Can you tell me what the difference between liberty and license is? What is the difference between liberty and license? Zach. Liberty is the ability to not sin and to do right instead, but license is saying, well, I have had all my sins forgiven, so I'm going to sin as much as I want. All right. You're right at it there. Liberty. What is liberty? Liberty is freedom from something. In the Scripture, when we talk about Christian liberty, we're talking about this law of liberty here. We are freed from what? We're freed from the slavery of sin. We were slaves to sin. And what is the word, the theological word we talk about when we talk about being bought back by Christ? That's called being what? Redeemed. Redeemed. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. We are no longer slaves of sin, but we've been purchased, which means we're owned, which means we're still, we're still slaves. Wait a minute. Then how can we talk about the law of liberty? I thought (laughs) I was free. You have liberty, liberty from that which controlled you and was leading you to eternal destruction. You've been freed To now be the servant of what? Righteousness. The servant of Christ. That is liberty. License. License is this. It's this attitude. I can do whatever I please. In other words, I will be God. I will do whatever pleases me regardless of any ramifications, that's license. And license doesn't go very well, unless you're God. And God can do as He wishes, and He does. He does everything to glorify Himself. There is no created being that can live that way, because he competes with God, and God will not share His glory. So license is not what we're talking about here. Now, there's a lot of people who want to live that way. Don't tell me what to do. I'm free. I'm not under the law. And there's warnings about that in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. What did Paul say there? He's, he's warning the believers there Galatians. He's talking about their liberty in Christ. But in Galatians 5, 13, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty... "...for an occasion or an opportunity to the flesh, but by love serve one another." So what does liberty look like? Loving your brother, serving others. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like liberty to me. That sounds like being a slave. (laughs) Well, you're paying close attention because that's exactly what it is. You're now a slave to Christ. Paul says, I'm Christ's bond slave. In 1 Peter chapter 2, very next book after James, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16, Peter says this. Well, I'll read verse 15 to come into the sentence there. It says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as a servants of God. What does it mean to use it as a cloak of maliciousness, as a pretense to fulfill the desires of your flesh. A lot of people, when they talk about oh, I'm free to do what I want. Don't be legalist. Don't tell me what to do or what I can and can't do because I'm free. I'm free to do what I want. That right there is using your liberty as an excuse for the flesh. That's a cloak of maliciousness. That's an old English way of putting that. Now, so speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty." If you're a believer, you are under the law of liberty. You have been liberated from, from what? From the condemnation of the law, the condemnation of that Mosaic law. You've been liberated from that. But now you're under what? The law of liberty. Now let me ask you a question. Which is more demanding? It is a trick question. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Somebody else. Which is more demanding? The law of liberty is effectively the law of righteousness. Righteousness is far more expansive than the law of Moses. Mm. Okay. covers everything. And plus it goes against that. You're battling against nature, where if you're going against the law, it's like, Okay. There's no restrictions. Let me, let, me, let me, again, let's contextualize this. Let's put it in the context. James is writing to Jews. They've been brought up to believe that as long as they keep the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders that built up like heavy plaque over time on the law, you know, if they'll keep these things, then they'll be accepted by God. It is a human righteousness Which is more demanding? Well, might I say that they both demand the same thing? They both demand the same thing. However, the law of liberty is is, is no less demanding. But when you think about it, it's dealing not with just externals. Now, the Old Testament Jews, they thought that law was an external thing. Pharisee say, yeah, I'm still with my original wife. I've never committed adultery. What did Jesus look at him and say? If you've lusted, you're guilty of adultery. Was Jesus saying that now the law of liberty is much more stringent? No, he says you misapplied the law. You misunderstood it. You see, God's standard has always been the same. It's perfect righteousness. So there really is no difference as far as the standard. They're both equally demanding. However, here's the good news. The good news is you can't keep either of them. That's the good news. You say, that sounds horrible. Well, let me tell you why it's good news. Because the law of liberty is the law of life in the one who has fulfilled the law on your behalf. That's Jesus Christ. He has perfectly kept the law. That's why it's the law of liberty absolutely demanding. God's standards have never changed and will not change. It is perfect righteousness, which he demands. He goes, talks about, in that, talking about holiness with which no man shall see the Lord. And so Christ is our holiness. He is our righteousness. His righteousness imputed to my account is a perfect righteousness, which God accepts. You go back to Romans chapters 9 and 10 and Paul laments over the Jews who are trying to put their trust in their own righteousness and in doing so they've rejected God's righteousness and it broke his heart. So speaking and so do as as believers, in other words, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You see, the law of liberty has freed you. You are free from the bondage and the control of sin. You can be righteous. Jesus said, and Peter talks about that in his his he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. God does not give us a command that He does not empower us to do. He says, stop sinning. Be holy. Do we have the power over sin or do we not? Yes, we do. In Christ, we have the power and the victory that's already been given to us. Victory over sin. So live like it. Live like it. That's what, that's what James is saying. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, let me finish up here. It says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy... Rejoices against judgment. Or that word rejoices means triumphs over. I'm going to tie that verse in next week, because I'm over time. As is my normal habit. Been a little long. But we'll tie that verse in. But I want you to look at that passage this week. So speaking, so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy and mercy. Rejoices against judgment. We do have our discussion today after lunch. If you have questions, I will gladly hear them. And we'll discuss this further if you'd like. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you again for this passage before us. Lord, we thank you for the liberty that we have in Christ. And Lord, the righteousness, the perfect righteousness which has been granted to us by the grace of God. We thank you for our salvation. Lord, help us to live like believers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.